0: This is the weekly sermon from Church of the Holy Trinity, a Reformed Episcopal parish of the Anglican Church in North America in Houston, Texas. Please join us on Sundays at 8 15 and 10 30 a.m. for Holy Communion and visit us on the web at holytrinityrec.org. Please enjoy the sermon. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And the cry of the city went up to heaven. This line in the last verse of our lesson in 1 Samuel chapter 5 today continues our series for this year in this important book in Holy Scripture. The cries and uproar that we read about last week came from the nation of Israel, first out of pride and trusting in the Ark of the Covenant instead of faith in God, and in the cries of Shiloh when they heard the news of Israel's defeat and the capture of the Ark by the Philistines. The cry we read of today happened after a seventh-month period of captivity, if you will, where the Ark was in the possession of the nation of Philistia. God did not allow Israel to use his Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, as a superstitious tool whereby they could run away from faithfulness. Yet when the Ark was captured, as we read today, God did not allow his glory to go unnoticed. He did not allow his sovereignty to be challenged. He did not allow his ark to suffer the fate of other religious objects of that time period when they were captured by a victorious army. This morning, let us continue our series in 1 Samuel, seeing God's sovereignty over our works, God's sovereignty over the idols that we try to make, God's sovereignty over all the means that we try in rejecting him. First part of this chapter, verses one through seven, speaks of the ark of the covenant in the Philistine city of Ashdod. Philistia, a country within the boundary of the Promised Land, was a nation that Israel had not subdued yet. It was set to the west along the sea. She, this nation, consisted of five major cities, and throughout the period of the Book of Judges and into First Samuel, we see that Israel is constantly at war with this nation. We read later in scripture of King Hezekiah, centuries later, defeating the Philistines. In the last last judge that we read about in the book of Judges, Samson dealt exclusively with the Philistines. After bringing the ark into their territory, we read the following in verse 2 this morning. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it beside Dagon. The ancient Middle Eastern nations practiced the capture of idols of other nations that they had defeated in battle and would place those other objects in subservient positions to their own gods. Other nations would even take the gods of other nations and worship those gods along with all their other gods. Here the Philistines did what was normal For them, normal for this time in defeating Israel in the previous chapter that we read about in battle where 30,000 Israelites perished, perhaps she felt that all the old stories and accounts of what happened when Israel carried this ark into battle were no longer true. This time the ark fell into their hands. This time they felt vindicated perhaps in treating it like any other religious symbol of their enemies. Verses 3 and 4 this morning describe what occurred. On the first night of being in the temple of Dagon, the image of Dagon in the morning was found face down in front of the Ark of the Covenant. This was a clear sign of God's sovereignty over the nation of Philistia, over even their God. The Philistines placed Dagon back up. And the next morning we read that Dagon fell again in front of the Ark, but this time his head and his arms were removed. This further cemented God's sovereignty over the knowledge of this idolatrous people through cutting off the head of their God, taking away their strength by cutting the arms off their God. As Psalm 97 verse 7 reminds us, all worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. God's sovereign power is above us all, even above the gods and the idols that we make. Even in its house of idolatrous worship, Dagon could not stand in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. Nothing can stand in the presence of Almighty God. The Philistines tried and they failed. Yes, they defeated Israel at the field of battle, but only due to the fact that God willed it to discipline a wayward and a rebellious people. This victory went only so far though. Idolatry always fails, whether under the mighty nations of this world or our own perceived autonomy over God and his established order. Yet humanity to this very day tries new ideas of idolatry, thinking it just might work this time. How how often in our struggles, against the world, the flesh, and the devil, do we have moments where we succumb to the same tendencies that the Philistines exhibited? How often do we act like a conquering army over God and placing our own idols, say of selfishness, or the works of the flesh, next to God as over him? How often do we unwittingly place Christ in subservience to the idols and gods of our own time? as Christians baptized into His death and raised up. The remainder of our lives are the work of God within us, His work of sanctification. In this daily battle, and it is a battle, there are times where it seems we take one step forward and two steps back. The call to all of us is constancy in coming back to our Savior and coming to Christ in repentance. And bowing to him alone in his holy worship and partaking of his holy supper. This is the cleansing of the Lord, constantly bringing us from the parts of the world that we live at, that we work, that we learn, that we play, back to his house to repent, to worship. After running into the embarrassment of their God falling before the ark, and the tumors that were afflicting the population, the Philistines moved the ark to the next town. In that time, it was common, even for victorious armies, to parade the spoils of war, such as prisoners of war, treasures, and the idols of other nations throughout the country for the people to see. As we read in verses 8 through 10 this morning, they moved the ark to two other principal cities of Philistia, Gath and Ekron. But this only served to spread the afflictions and the heavy hand of the Lord upon the Philistines. God in these mighty works subdued the Philistines to a place of honor, to a place of respect. With the eventual spread of the gospel and salvation to the ends of this world, this brief period of time where the Ark of the Covenant was outside Hebrew hands was used as a proof. To one of the most strident enemies of God's people, that he indeed was sovereign over all, whether they liked it or not. Understanding these mighty acts of the Lord and his timing over the timing of his people is crucial. See, Israel, as we read last week, in trying to stave off military defeat without bowing to God, without coming back to God in repentance, used the Ark of the Covenant as a superstitious charm and they failed. Instead, God proved his power through his timing so that the common everyday Philistine would see and experience God's power. When we try to squirm out of serving Jesus Christ, especially after failing in serving self, we'll often do as the Philistines and try new things to try to defeat God. We end up going in circles trying to do what is right in our own eyes, regardless of the people it hurts. All that matters to the idolater is to please self. Yet this self-pleasing always ends in brokenness. The last section of our lesson today in verses 11 and 12 speak of the Philistines coming to the end of their rope, if you will, to the end of their attempts to defeat God. They came to the point that their cries went up to heaven, as we read. They sought all that remained to return the ark so that the heavy hand of the Lord would be lifted. Often when we're trying to run from God, we must hit this same point. Some are more stubborn than others. And we are all sometimes stubborn in our favorite pet idols. All people take time, take patience. How do we reply to the stubborn sinner that cannot see their sin and don't even think it's sinful? All we can do is to continue in the mission of the gospel, to pronounce the gospel of Jesus Christ, to remind those that are straying of who they are in Christ, to recall their baptisms as Martin Luther would say, often in the midst of trials brought on by our own sin the cry of how long must be answered through faith, through repentance, the, re- the realization that we cannot just snap our fingers and be better. It takes time. It takes the timing of God working within our stubborn and hard hearts. He, in varying ways, is at work with every single one of us, from the backsliding to the stalwart in the faith, ministering to others, as we are all called to do in the gospel is tedious. It is patient work. It is akin to what we read about today on this first Sunday in pre-Lent. and Paul's lesson to us. That the Christian faith is like a race. Self-control. This is the way we must look at one another. And working with each other. And ministering to each other. As Paul said, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. It is akin to working in the fields of the Lord that he has given us, that the appointed time he has called all of us to enter his fields to work. All of the work that God uses us for is ultimately his work. We are called in this work to persistently yet gently proclaim Jesus Christ in terms of repentance forgiveness. We are called in this work to follow our proclamation with persistent prayer to God. We are called in our proclamations and our prayers to persistently wait upon Christ and his timing. We can take this lesson from the folly of the pagan Philistines in dealing with God to our lives, where this world and culture tells us to put Jesus underneath our favorite idols. Idols can include anything we use, anything we place trust in to the point it causes us to cease loving God and our neighbors. Anything we place above our call to love God and to love each other is idolatrous. The life we live in Christ is the constant submission to him of every barrier left in our lives that we try to lift up against him. Life in Jesus Christ is the fight against the flesh to weed these out through his conviction, through getting upon our knees in repentance and hearing that simple gospel message that Jesus Christ alone has forgiven our sin. It is embracing this forgiveness through the love of Christ over the love of this world. It is to realize that as long as we keep our pet idols over God in any way, we will suffer greatly. Our call is to repent, to turn away from our wickedness back to Christ. Our call is to ask the Lord's help in forsaking the idols that we cling to him to to over him and each other. God in his providence placed the whole nation of Philistia under him to the point they acknowledged they could not contain him and sought to return his ark to where it belonged. Let us use this time that we have this morning in a few moments to ponder our own lives, to confess our sins, to hear those lovely words of our Savior that he has forgiven us in him alone, and to seek his help in walking from sin. May our cry be to Jesus Christ alone, for he will hear us, and provide what we need to turn back as long as we submit to him as king over self, as king over all. Amen.